head over to GameToppersLLC.com to check out all their current deals that they've got going on. You still have time to get your late pledge in for the Game Topper 3.0, and that inc- that's for the legs. There are huge savings on map bundles and topper packages from the drink holders to the to the various mats that he has done. I mean, a hundred, oh, I'm sorry, a hundred, one thousand, and man, I cannot talk as we get this podcast started, Marty. Over a thousand percent funded. Wow, would you look at that? So be sure to go check it out over at the Game Toppers LLC. Also, they are currently have a giveaway going on. Once again, that is Game Toppers LLC. That's G A M E T O P P E R S. LLC.com. <laughs> uh, maybe people were losing the ass in that, Marty. I don't know. Hey, y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review Juicy Fruits, Subastral, Power Rangers deck building game, and Mondrian Blocks. Plus the usual soft drinks, video games, and now for something completely different, manga. And welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 234, Fantasy. I'm Tony. Life is just a fantasy. Can't we? Is it the Aldo Nova song? I don't know what that means. I have no clue what you mean by Aldo Nova. There was a song that came out in the 80s from a, a band or a person called Aldo Nova, and it was called Fantasy. No, good gosh, no. Please don't desecrate earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just saying. When you first mentioned the title to me, that was the first song that came in that I knew was Fantasy. How in the world could that be the first song that came into your mind when Fantasy is so prolific? I loved that song from Aldo Nova. It takes me back to my high school days. Uh, now I'm going to have to go listen to that because no, fantasy, earth, wind, and fire. And who are you? Oh, I'm Marty. You need to stay stay with the program. We've got a new program here, Marty, because our members in Discord were very impressed that we started out the show by talking a game last time. I don't know if it was impressed or more confused than anything else. And I think it threw them for a loop. I think a couple of them had a stroke. We're going to check it, check the pulse. We're going to see, make sure it happens again. So we're going to talk about a game first thing. Holy crap. We're just jumping right in, baby. Let me lean back in my chair. Lean back in your chair. And so since you started out last time with DJ, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Summertime, I'm going to mm-hmm. jump into a game that I got a while ago, but I finally got to the table. And it's one of those things where, you know, you take, you're like, ah, oh, do I really want to play? Do I want to play this? So Donna said, well, what game you want to play? And I said, well, here's the thing. This game, Fast Sloss from Stronghold by the guy who loves the Fs, Fried, is it Friedman Freeze. Friedman Freeze. She said, well, why do you want to play this? And I said, well, first off, sweetie, I had to put a ton of stickers on wood things, on wood little disc. I'm talking, it had to be 30 freaking stickers. And you know me, I'm not a grumpy guy when it comes to putting, oh, I was so pissed. I opened that thing up and there were discs everywhere and there was a huge sticker sheet. You remember those books we used to get as kids where you had the stickers in them? A kid's book with stickers in them? I mean, all of us had kid's book with stickers in them, right? Where you would put them on certain pages in the book? And it would, yeah, you'd match up the numbers and it would tell a story. God, I miss those days. I thought, kind of like the invisible pen books. Those were fun too. Anyway. Oh, 
What? Now we're talking invisible pen books. I used to love when we went on vacation yeah. and you went to like, <laughs> yes, and you went to a store that was like a souvenir store. There's the word. The souvenir store, you had the book and you had the, the pen and you would write over it and it would show what's behind it and it had all these puzzle books and oh, that's memories right there. Yeah, it is. So anyway, back to Fast Loss. Donna, I tried to get you off the game. We sat down to play this and this was, uh, there's been a lot of praise about this game and it's one of those games where you are a sloth and it's your job to collect leaves. But if you were to play it as a sloth, then it would take you hours upon hours because we all know what the problem with sloths are. They move very slow. They're slow. They're slow. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the sloths are incorporating the use of other animals in the jungle to help them move. So what you're trying to do is you're collecting a set of cards from the other animals and on your turn, you'll collect the cards and then you may optionally play the cards of a one given animal. So there are six animals that are going to help you along the track and you, on your turn, you draw, you pick three cards and none of the cards can be the same. So if I were to choose the ant or if I were to choose the unicorn or if I were to choose the human, those are the three I choose. I cannot do choose two ants and each of them have special powers and we're not special powers, special movement. And there's this whole concept of positioning these discs to help you come and pick up your sloth and move them. And certain animals can only move on certain terrains and certain animals have, you know, um, hindrances like the elephant or maybe the human can only stay on the paths. I forget what their special abilities are. But it was very interesting to try to gather these cards to play movement to allow you to pick up your sloth and carry him along the path so he can get his leaves. First person to eight leaves is the winner. I will say this. With four people, this game would probably sing. I think I'm going to bring it to a game night. It's very fast that you and I and, and, and the other game buddies could sit there and play with us and see how it compares. But with two people, it kind of felt flat. And the reason why I say that is because Donna was doing her thing. I was doing my thing. But I could see where this game could be sort of a take that. Because when you play to move an animal, it's generally, oh, this animal is going to help me. You could also have cards in your hand where you would play them. And you could move that animal away from somebody. So they could not then use that animal. They had set up this special move and you suddenly mess them up. I've heard a lot of good things about the game. I've heard several reviews when it came out. And in general, people seem to like it. So maybe, like you said, the three or four player count is the sweet spot. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the most unique thing is, is when you play cards for your movement, they go in the bottom of that animal's deck. You, you keep them in order. So you're constantly going through them, but they're never shuffled. So when someone plays like there's a two, 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 three, 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 four, four. If someone draws, you know, plays the four ahead of the two, it may come up earlier. All this strategy's coming on and you're sitting there. I can say, okay, I can see where this really could shine at a higher player count. So, mm -hmm. and, all, and there's 12 animals, so all different types of unique uh, moves. So I'll be definitely be interested in playing since I don't have to put stickers on anything. A, a bit. God, that all. Oh. <laughs> That's rare nowadays to have to put uh, stickers on stuff now. And, and, you know, I didn't have to because all the discs are different colors, but, you know, mm. it... And that's fine. I mean, it helps minimize production costs, and that's fine. It wouldn't matter if I didn't care for them to be perfectly centered, 
but I really mm-hmm. wanted them perfectly centered. And then I have, as disc number 20 hit the table, screw it. It's going on the yep. disc. Oh, that's the same with me, man. The first one is like, Ooh, I got it on there by the other one. It's like, okay, it wraps over the edge. I'll just wrap it down. So it, you know, sticks on the side of the disc as opposed to being right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I could take time to peel it off. I'm done. I'm done. Where's the exacto knife. I'll trim that bad boy up pretty darn good. There you go. So I was in the big Harris Teeter or the food line here in North Carolina and I texted Marty or whatever, tweeted him or something and said, oh, we got us a new taste test going on, Marty. Mountain Dew Baja Flash. But this is not zero sugar, dude. So I'm going to have to hand this off to the kids to see if they'll finish it because there's no way I'll be able to finish it. But I am very interested in this because there's pineapple in it. I love pineapple. I do too. I do too. And and I mean, it's a beautiful yellow can. Do you ever uh, get uh, that type of pineapple that just hurts your mouth when you eat it? You know what I'm talking about where it's like so acidic? It's like, you got to find that right pineapple. That pineapple, I can't eat a lot of, but the other, that's a perfect balance of tangy and sweet. I can just num, 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 all that all day long. I, I, recently I had a pineapple and I, I don't know, I don't think it was a food allergy, but it did something and it tore, it tore up my mouth. I was like, my, my tongue got a little numb. I thought I was having a stroke, unfortunately, or something. I was like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> Do you smell toast? I, I checked that on Google, and I did not smell toast, <laughs> unless Donna was making toast. But no, she was not. <laughs> I smell toast. I'm making toast. Oh, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, so we're going to break this, open this bad boy. So here's what's interesting, though. You, you got me, a not a chaser with this, but something to go along beside of it. You picked up... A moon pie mini that's lemon flavored, which I've never had before. I haven't either. It was at the local Aldi's. I think there's Aldi's all over the country. They are doing specials on lemons this week uh, that we're recording of July 19th. And they have this whole lemon display set up. And I said, I got to get this. And also, I think either someone um, tweeted us a picture of one or put it in our Discord channel that, hey, have you guys seen these yet? And I had not seen, and I love lemon flavor. Love lemon flavor. I typically do too, which reminds me, I went to a, uh, I love uh, scented candles. And when this one coffee shop that had a, a candle in there, it was lemon pound cake. I love lemon pound cake. And this candle smelled exactly like a good lemon pound cake. Okay, okay, enough of that. Uh, so what are we doing? Are we doing Mountain Dew, then, then Moon Pie? This is very important. Uh, Pineapple and lemon uh, should be okay. Yeah, so you tell me, I'm, I'll go either way. i tell you what. Um, let's just start with the, let's not mess up the taste of the, right. of the Mountain Dew by putting lemon with it. Let's go. All right. So here we go. All right. All right. What do we, t- does it smell like? Oh yeah. It has a hint of pineapple, mm-hmm. but to me it has, you know, the Baja Blast has a certain scent mm-hmm. to it. I'm, this is it. All right. I'm letting it breathe. So ready? Letting it breathe. I understand. That's just the carbonation coming out, man. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. That is definitely pineapple. Woo. Um, Woo is in what? Tart? Sweet? That is good. Mm. Mm. You know what that reminds me of? What? A nata colada. I don't know what that is. A pina colada. An alcoholic drink. A nata colada is without alcohol. Oh, without alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. The fruity drinks that I love so much, this crush, it's basically basically a pineapple slushy. This this is good. This is good. Mm. I think you could suck this back and not deal with 170 calories. Your waistline can handle that. Oh, my goodness. And not the moon pie I'm getting ready to eat. But, man, I wish there was a zero sugar flavor of this. And you bought me two. So next episode, we'll try the other Mountain Dew. 
Baja Punch. I got a feeling we know what that's going to taste like. Fruit Punch. All right, so I'm going to try this Moon Pie. Yeah, let's get into this Moon Pie here. This is a mini, so I will be you know eating this whole You know what's sad? What's that? We graduated from NC State, and unlike the two guys who are making a ton of money on YouTube, Rhett and Link, they do this kind of <laughs> crap too, and we don't make any of it. <laughs> So you're saying they have millions of subs and hundreds of thousands of views doing this same sort of thing. It is crap. Except they're rich. Okay. Yeah. We missed that boat. Yeah, we sure did. That's okay. And it's the same thing. They were engineers also. I don't know if you said that. No, I did not. Yeah, they graduated engineering. They said, this ain't working. Let's make YouTube videos. And Uh, there they are. All right. um, I'm getting too much strong hint of of the uh, graham cracker here. Not enough lemon for me. Mm. I like a hint of lemon, but I, that's me. Mm. Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh yeah, that's the perfect amount of lemon for me. I don't like it too strong. That's good. That's good. Well, good. I, I bought two boxes. Yes, um, I will take more of this. This is good. Is it? Yeah, it's not overpowering, but I love this lemon. Is good. Though. I love lemon, and which will get me to the other mm. story here. Mm, that's good. I, I think our, our listeners don't need to hear me smacking on the microphone here. I will edit any smacking out. So there you go. All right. So, mm. so that, which gets me to mm. another story about lemon. Man, I have tied it all together. What am I? Am I prepared or what? I've had three weeks to get prepared. Holy cow. Mm, that's good. Holy cow. That's good. So, wow. So that's that. Okay. Hold on. Oh, you got to keep going. That's a, that's above mint. No. No, oh, I like this better than mint. Really? Yeah. This is a uh, better banana. That's easy to top. But you got to like lemon. Mm, I may like this better than salted caramel. You need to get Vanessa in here to get a quick bite before you eat it all. It's all gone. <laughs> 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 oh, I know what that intro is going to be. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> well, next time I see you, I'll bring her one. Okay, if it ma- mm. if it makes it home, then if not, I'm not going to tell. Wow, mm. that's good. All, All right. right, that's good. So, so lemon, lemon, lemon story. So lemon. So Donna made a um, uh, lemon tart. So because of you again, you're to blame for this. We've been watching the Great British Bake Off started from season one. Now we finished up season two. We're into season three because hopefully Kim Joy will come back on the show. And then this way I can talk intelligently with her. And now I can understand your love of that show. It's amazing, isn't it? So you started at season one. So you, uh, gosh, did we watch the first couple of seasons? It's totally changed. Is yeah. it, is it uh, are the two, are the two female hosts? Mm-hmm. They're hilarious. We didn't start watching until... They switched channels, and uh, that's when Noel uh, joined at that point. It was Noel, and there was another uh, lady comedian uh, that's with the for a few seasons. So that's when we, when we started watching. And was is Prue one of the judges? It's Prudence? No, it's uh, Mary Berry and uh, Mr. Hollywood. Okay, so uh, Mr. Hollywood's all the way through it. So when Prue joins and Noel is the season that we started watching. Okay. So I haven't seen any of the ones that you saw. All right, so in season two, the one of the challenges is to make a Mary Berry, something, it's a lemon tart. 
Okay. A cha-ching didi. Oh, I, I can't do it. It's here. Let me Google that. Cha-ching didi. Yeah, it's called chitty chitty bang bang. Um, so, but it's a lemon tart, a French lemon tart. And now you want to talk about puckering. So Donna said, I want to try this. So she ordered uh, a quiche pan that has the f- bottom that comes out of it. Mm-hmm. So, and she's following Mary Berry's recipe to AT. And let me tell you, you want to talk about lemon. That thing made me pucker, but God, it was so good. Oh, she did an incredible job. But the reason why I'm blaming you for something now is at game night, from now on, we are going to use the terms, I've been completely gutted and knackered. They said that a lot? Oh, yeah. It completely gutted me. That's funny. Uh, so we use the word uh, stodgy, stodgy all the time. They say they say stodgy. So uh, yeah. So what, what's the appeal of it to you? Oh, it's the history. Ah, okay. It's the history. And I, I okay. guess maybe I'm in a minority. I enjoy watching Paul talk about stuff, and and also the fact fact that they're helping people. Yep, that's it. It is the contestants are super friendly with each other. They help each other out. Like you said, you learn a lot. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of learning into which is interesting too. A lot of reality shows. Like I was watching. Um, have you seen Lego Masters? I've seen some of it. Yeah. Okay. My issue with the Lego masters is the people that are building don't talk about what they're doing and why they're doing it. I want to hear why, why are you using that piece? You know, why, you know, what piece over this piece? Why are you building it Mm -hmm. like this? I want to hear some of the mechanics and design of what they're doing. And they don't share any of that. What I like about uh, the great British breaking is they teach you why, why do you use this ingredient in this? What's this ingredient going to do? You know, here's what you have to do to, to have, make sure this works. All that's really cool. Yeah. And we don't have castor sugar here. We don't have that because we have granulated and powdered sugar. Castor is in between that. Getting the various bread uh, glutens is not a common thing. So trying to do some of the recipes are f- fun because I want to try to make some bread like you, but it's just, so when I say gutter, uh, it completely gutted me. And that's one of those things where, you know, basically just took the wind out of me and I'm knackered is I'm exhausted. And then of course, Mary Berry's was scrummy. Very, so that moon pie was scrummy. I can't remember how many seasons it is until they get to the new host. It's got to be soon. I don't think they did that, that many. So I'm curious to see how you think of the new one. So you never watched IT Crowd, but Noel is one of the uh, actors from the IT Crowd. So I always liked him. And then the past two seasons, they had a guy that was on Doctor Who, who's also extremely funny. So Noel and this other guy, uh, Matt Lucas. Mm-hmm. It's not $5. I'm not going to look it up. Mark or Matt Lucas. It, they, they just work really well together. I, I can't wait for it to come back. Obviously with covid uh, they had to restructure and redo some stuff uh, last year. So hopefully this fall. And between all the pictures of the sheep, but I swear in season one and season two, every show they showed squirrels eating nuts. It was hilarious. I mean, big hawking squirrels. I'm waiting for some squirrel pie or something to show up. Do they do meat pie? I can't remember if they ever do any sort of meat, but they do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoy it. And now you, when you see Kim Joy on the show, uh, you'll you'll appreciate her and her game that's going to be coming out. It is now you're starting to see it out in the wild. Uh, they contacted us, Skybound Games, and said, will you guys be interested in a copy? I said, well, of course we would because I think we're one of the first shows she teased it on last year. If you want to, you can go listen to that episode. We had a great time talking to her. Who knows? Maybe we'll get to uh, meet her, hang out with her again. Maybe bring her back on the show. Just talk about this whole 
game design thing, but it looks like a really cute game. Can't wait to try it. Yeah, I need to get, let me get another swig of this Mountain Dew here to wash down some of that yellow, uh, lemon moon pie yellow, <laughs> lemon. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to go drop this off into the fridge and, and grab a duplicate. A few moments later. I turned in the uh, Mountain Dew for a Dr. Pepper cream soda zero sugar. Have you tried one of these? No, I, I, cream soda. Mm. Okay. Mm. Have you heard about the uh, brand new, and I have an issue with this, the new Coke Zero formula that's coming out? So, yes, I have. You know, going back to the new Coke flavor, back to when they did that, and they admitted that there is no way that they were smart enough to do a marketing ploy, ploy to get people to go back to Coke. They said, we're not that smart. Don't give us that much credit. I'm wondering what the purpose is here. What, what, get me a new can. That's fine. Don't, don't mess with my original. Here's the thing. I love the taste of Coke Zero. I never could stand Diet Coke. And the first time I tried Coke Zero, it's like, wow, I feel like I'm tasting a real Coke. I don't know why they're tweaking it. I guess the cells aren't good. No, they're not. Mm -mm. So I don't, I don't know. So I've been looking for it. So as soon as we find one, we'll get it on the show and we'll do a taste test together. And I'll keep looking always in the supermarket for the good stuff like I do with Mountain Dew. But we squirreled completely away by going with the game. We should have stuck with what we enjoy, and that is just <laughs> running straight banter, earth, wind, and fire. Yes. Why fantasy? Because when I am mowing my yard and I put on the yacht, right, I always hear fantasy. I'm like, oh, that is such a good song. I mean, if you have ever heard of earth, wind, and fire, you, I know you have, when you hear one of their songs, you immediately start dancing. You can't not, not dance. I'm sorry. You got to do something in your chair. You got to do a little movement. You could do not, not dance. You can not, not dance, which I don't know what that is. What are some of your favorite Earth, Wind & Fire songs? Ah, see, I love this. He said, we're going to talk about our top three favorite Earth, Wind & Fire songs. And we said, we've never done this before with a, a group that uh, is the title of the show. So uh, both you and I share one together. I think it's hard not to include September, mm -hmm. which is one of their uh, more popular songs. And I'm sure everybody's heard it. I got it kind of playing in the background right now. Yeah, September. Love that song. I mean, it's one of those. But when you're listening to it, you don't even know what the name of it is. What's the, what are that? I mean, they say it, but is that the name of this song? Oh, in the chorus, yeah. In the chorus, in the horns and everything. You're just like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm moving. I'm grooving. Well, another one of mine is, well, obviously, Fantasy. We'll go with that because uh, I named the song that reason. So Fantasy is one. Or the episode that reason. Uh, that too, the episode. So Fantasy is one of my favorite. And I think if you, when you hear that song and you know it, it'll come rushing back to you. Who doesn't try to hit that high note? It will hurt you. I don't because, yeah, you have to punch yourself in, in the uh, a very sensitive area in order to be able to possibly reach that. Oh, so good. Then I'll go ahead and say Reasons is probably one of my other ones. And this is what I had never heard of. So I pulled out, <laughs> pulled out, I uh, went out to Amazon Music and listened to the Earth, Wind & Fire Greatest Hits and I saw this on your list. It's like, I don't know how I missed this one. It does not ring a bell to me at all. It's that slow jam. That's my mellow. That's, that's, that's my groove right there. Just get into it. Well so, well, so is mine. I mean, they make a bunch of amazing songs. And I went with more of the slower stuff, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they got like Boogie Wonderland, which is super upbeat. Ah, ah, ah. Sorry. Sing a song. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really upbeat. Got to get you back into my life. Got to get you back. Which was sung by who? 
I don't know. It's a cover of the Beatles. It is? Yes. Got to get you back in my life? Really? Yeah, Google that. Check that. I'm darn sure it was a cover done by them. Of the Beatles, I got to get you back into my life. I did not know that. I have learned something. Well, there you go. What are some of your other favorites? I mean, those are the common ones. I mean, not the common ones. Those are some great, amazing songs. It's hard to whittle this down. What are your other two? That's the way of the world. Let me listen. So it's either this one or the... I think it's the next song that was uh, featured on WKRP at some time as a, as a background song, but I think it's the next one. But yeah, That's the Way of the World. It's just like amazing harmonies and the strings in the background. They use strings. They use horns. And ugh, man, such a good... Such a good... I'd forgotten how good they were until I listened to this whole... I listened to The Greatest Hits probably three times a day. And you haven't even mentioned your last one. What was your last one? This is so ironic. So my last one is um, After the Love is Gone, which I think is the one I remember from being on WKRP at some point in time. Okay. So over the weekend, I was watching a YouTube video that was recommended to me. I love like watching videos about video game music. And there's a channel I follow called 8-Bit Theory that talks about music. Well, it recommended another channel that this uh, jazz pianist that was analyzing Pokemon theme songs. Because I watched it, it got recommended to me today, and he analyzes After the Love is Gone, <laughs> and the guy was getting so into it. And, okay, here we go. For any musicians out there, this is really, really cool. If you're a musician, you know what the Circle of Fifths is. If you go and look at the chord chart of this, in the chorus of the song, they are going around the Circle of Fifths. They're going counterclockwise, so they're going from a, like a C to an F, to a B flat. They're walking right up the fourths and then they reset back to the C and they just go about halfway around the circle of fifths and go back. So that's a really cool chord progression. But what is so mind-boggling, if you know this song well, you know at the very end of the song, he gets really high. What they do is when they walk back to reset the circle of fifths, they go up two extra fifths and then modulate and start from there and go back around the circle again. So musically, what they're doing and the chord structure is absolutely phenomenal. I don't care. Get off my lawn. I'm a boomer, but they do not write songs like this for the radio anymore. Mm -mm. They don't. They don't. And the talent for those of you, and I will put a link into the um, show notes. In 2019, um, Earth, Wind & Fire received the Kennedy Center Awards. And I will put the link to that whole um, session that's out on YouTube for those to, to watch it. You know, there was, uh, you know, Maurice White who started Earth, Wind & Fire back in this, this band is over 50 years old, over 90 million records sold. He started it. And, and then you had Verdine White and you had Philip Bailey and, and the whole, the whole list of them. And, but to sit there and watch the Kennedy Center honors and see legends sing some of these songs and Neo. And it's just like, Oh my gosh. And these guys, you know, you could tell they're getting into it. There you go. Rolling dice and taking names, taking you to a musical lesson because of an, a great, great band. So if you would, please, in our comments, Discord channel, wherever you are, we'd love to hear some of your favorite. Now, I know someone's going to say Shining Star. Yes, Shining Star is amazing too. What's some of your favorite Earth, Wind, and Fire? What's, a, what's another one of your groups from the 60s, 70s? Talk to us. We'd like to hear your comments. That's right. And, Tony, quick quiz. Uh, oh, goodness. Philip Bailey had his famous duet in the 80s. Do you remember who it was with? Uh, Philip Bailey with Phil Collins. And what was the song? Uh, oh, shoot. 
I'm getting it confused with Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson right now. Easy lover. There it is. Easy lover. Yeah. That's it. Philip Bailey and uh, Phil Collins together. Phil and Phil. Phil. That was that was really cool. So. so so good. Now let's get into another one of our wheelhouses. All right. On August 14th, mark your calendars. We're warning you now. You are giving you plenty of time. It's free comic book day. And thanks to Marty, I'll be there again. See, once again, he has made me go... Uh, you you are a bad influence, sir. Is it bad? I don't know if that's bad, know. is it? I picked up my spawn. Hey, hey, how about this? It's free. It's free. These are free. You ain't got to pay for them. Believe it or not, y'all, this is, this is going to tie back into board gaming. There is going to be one at your comic book store that everybody who plays board games knows about. There is going to be a comic on Gloomhaven. It's part, part of the free comic book day. So if you want to, you can just go pick it up and get it for free. Again, most of your comic book store is going to be doing this if you've never uh, done the, this sort of thing before. Uh, basically, you just go in uh, one day, a bunch of free books are on the uh, on the shelves, and you get to pick up some and take them with you. And the hopes is, is you'll read and come back and pick up the series. Absolutely. But So that's August 14th. Did anything, I sent you a list of the ones that are going to be free. Did any of them catch your eye? Not really, and I'll tell you why in a second. But one of them caught your eye, didn't it? And the re- the one that caught your eye is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Welcome to manga. What is that? It's from Tokyo Pop. Uh, manga is uh, Japanese, basically written comics. Okay. And you are going to now dip into the world of manga like I just recently have, and I am in love with it. Well, this is supposed to draw me in. I did get, I had $5 to spend on a Google book plus all my survey dollars. So I went ahead and picked up the Valhalla book that's by the publisher that did your Arkham Hara. I always get them wrong. Aconite. Aconite. So I did pick that up and I'm going to start reading that soon. So I'm kind of curious how this will, I'm very interested in this, see where this is going to take me. And I hope it's not going to take me back to the comic book store again and again and again. So when I went on my trip, I picked up uh, the first manga I've ever read, it's H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. I'm wanting something that that wasn't too out there. And this is basically an adaptation of the story of The Mountains of Madness. And it's, it's split into two books. Have you ever picked up a, a, a manga book before? If I did, I didn't realize what I picked up. It may have been laying on the floor because somebody knocked it off. Typically, it's in black and white. Uh-huh. So what's interesting about manga is this. You read it from our perspective from back to front. Okay, so in this case, you would start at the back. The first page is what is typically our last page. And then you flip forward from there. All right. You're, 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 are you following this? I'm following it. I don't know why I'm doing this other than this is the way they do it. That's, that's the way Japanese read books. Okay. So when they, do, when, they bring it, when they bring it over here, they leave it in the same format. In fact, many of the books at the very front say, <laughs> Turn it around while you still can. It's telling you this is backwards. Don't start here. So I started reading this. I knew that you read from back to front, but I did not pick up on that you're supposed to read from the right panel to the left panel. So for about 10 pages, I'm reading the panels. I'm reading the panels backwards. And I'm like, this is the weirdest dialogue ever. He's like answering the question before it's ever even asked. And, and then it hit me. It's like, wait a minute. And then I started reading the other way. It's like, oh, this makes a lot more sense. So uh, yeah, the reason why I started was interested in it because all my boys are into it now. And I asked them why. And they said, really, it comes down to this. They said that the uh, the writers of these books, lots of times they're the uh, 
uh, they're, they're the authors, obviously. It's their idea. It's not somebody else's idea. Sometimes they're the actual artists, too. So they have total full creative control over this. And when somebody has stuff that they're writing or working on, have full creative control, you get their total vision of the product. And just last week, uh, there was a Batman writer. His name is Chuck Dixon, who came out and said, he explained why, and this is the title of the article, why manga is wiping the floor with American comics. Ooh. Yeah. So he says, and it comes a couple quotes. He says, it's not hard to figure out really. There's a lot of dedication, passion, and craft in the manga comics, and that's missing almost entirely from the big two, meaning Marvel and DC. Marvel and DC still run the store here. They're mar- the market leaders. And unfortunately, there is no variety here. There's nothing different. There's not something for everybody in the way that there's manga. And he went on to explain. He said, for example... I was interested in a book about fishing. He said, I found a manga book that was about fishing. It wasn't about superheroes fishing. It wasn't about aliens fishing. It was about a couple friends who go out and fish. And he said, it was just so intriguing. He said, if, if there's something you want to find, something all like cooking, gambling, whatever. He said, there, there is a manga uh, story for it. And since 2019, manga sales have almost tripled in sales. Uh, meanwhile, the big two, Marvel and DC, they came out their numbers last year. They went up a little bit, but manga and independence totally blew them away. And I see why now. It's because all these characters we read growing up, Flash, Superman, etc., they're just getting, you know, every couple of years they get a new writer. They're a little bit different. It's not the same characters you grew up with. Whereas the people who write this stuff, they write this, they may write 24 volumes of this. And then their story is done and nobody will pick up this character and do it again. All right. It's, uh, it's, uh, I tell you, it's really worth uh, looking into. There is actually a series that Adam told me about that really caught my eye. And I was looking at it. It thing is it was 24 volumes. It's called the Vinland saga, which is about Vikings. So you, you talked, you talked about Valhalla. So this is a series. I said, what was the synopsis? The synopsis is, is, uh, as a child, Thorfinn sat at the feet of the great Leif Erikson and thrilled to ride to, to wild tales of land so far to the West. So he's a youth. He's raised by Vikings uh, who murdered his family, and then he becomes a warrior, and he's seeking to kill the band's leader that killed his family. And uh, the art looks amazing, and it's like, this may be something I might get into. But again, it's it's 24 books at $18 a book. So a lot of people read manga online. So they get a subscription, and they just read it on their phone. Like, Brett does a lot of stuff like that. But before I get into that, I know a lot of our listeners have talked to me about this. If there's a manga you think I'd be interested in, I'm not interested in the... Uh, what's it called? The shonen or whatever. The the more the stuff that's geared towards like teenage uh, guys and stuff, like My Hero Academia or or teenage kids. Uh, I'm more of the more dark adult type stuff. So if you have any uh, ideas for manga, get on our Discord channel or uh, let me know on Twitter or on Instagram at Dyson Names. So as I mentioned, uh, Tony, I read this book on the way to Montana. Had a, a great trip there. Uh, for the first time ever, our family did an escape room. And it's one of the best escape rooms I've ever done. It was a fantasy-based uh, escape room. They had some really cool techniques and stuff. We, we managed to get out. My family loved it. I think they were kind of like, oh, I'm not sure about this. But once we did it, uh, we really enjoyed it. Have you and Donna ever done one together? We have with a neighborhood and another group. We went and did one. And it, it, was, it was good. I mean, it wasn't great. If I did uh, an escape room with Donna and Rebecca, I'm afraid they'd leave me in there. <laughs> Awesome that the family had fun. Who was the alpha? 
Who played? Who who kept helping people? Uh, no, actually, we did good. I told them I said, "Look, when we go in here, everybody just go your separate ways and do your own thing." And they did. So the bad thing about that format is, is, is the boys got on this puzzle that looked really cool, but I never got to see how they did it. Okay. So afterwards, it's like, well, what exactly were you guys working on? So the bad thing about escape rooms when you do them right, when you split up the the work, you don't get to see um, all the cool stuff. It got to uh, hike to the top of a mountain when I was there. First time I'd ever done that. The mountain looked a lot smaller until I started it. <laughs> It was very deceptive, Tony. There was a ridge I thought we were going to. And when we got to that ridge, no, there was another ridge above that. And then at this point, you're committed. It's like, all right, so Brett and Adam and I was like, what do we do now? And I said, we're here. We just got to keep going. So we finally got to the top and I went, whew, okay, let's go down. Nobody told me that the hardest part would be coming down. We're we're basically, we were having to jog (laughs) down because... Because some of this stuff was pretty... Anyway, it's the first time. I, it was like a 2,000 foot from base mm-hmm. to top. It, it was cool. I'm glad we did it. Before you go on on that, if you don't have switchbacks, when you get to the bottom, them thighs, those hamstrings are going to be in fuego. Halfway up, we had switchbacks. After that, no switchbacks. So yeah, it was pretty rough on the on the top half and, and, and second half down. Um, also, it was really cool. Two... Uh, great game stores there. One was called Retrofix Games, though we wanted to go there because they had used uh, video games. We all went in there. All of a sudden, they had a ton of uh, board games that were all up to date. Uh, they had a lot of games workshop stuff that was neat. Uh, I didn't buy anything there, but uh, the guy there was super nice. Then we went to another store called Muse Comics because the guys wanted to get some uh, comics. They had some manga there. They didn't have a lot. I actually picked up a Vampire the Masquerade graphic novel uh, from there because it was made by a local publisher. I haven't read it yet, but I, I picked it up and bought it there. Again, great comic selection there. Great game selection. And what was so cool is I was talking to the owners afterwards, and the owners are super nice. Super nice. Look, when I walk into a store, if a game store owner doesn't immediately acknowledge me and say something to me, then I'm already going to have a bad experience. But these guys were super nice. And when I checked out, I told them, I said, you have a great store. Oh, well, thank you so much. They were very humble. They talked about how they were going to uh, open up another section, knock down a wall so they can have an open gaming area. Uh, it's just one of those really good friendly local uh, game stores. Again, both of them were nice, but I just had a chance to sit down and talk to Muse Comics. So if you're ever in Missoula, Montana, and you got the itch to go do some gaming, check out Retrofix Games and uh, Muse Comics. I really enjoyed both of them. And while you're in Montana, I am in our national, national, nation's capital, D.C., with my daughter. We went to the fireworks. If you've ever get the chance to do D.C. and see the July 4th fireworks, amazing absolutely amazing we, it wasn't it wasn't crowded per se so we had a great time but my game store was not nearly as nice as yours i went to the oh i forgot the name of it it's not worth mentioning all i do say is that when i went there you could rent a game for two dollars and people were renting shoots and ladders i kid you not what they had every type of monopoly every they had shoots and ladders probably one of the hardest games i saw in there was ticket to ride Donna goes, hey, your game collection is better than theirs. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to throw shade or anything, but yeah, but they, people were playing shoots and ladders. It was hilarious to me. I, there's nothing wrong with it. I played it with Rebecca. It's a great game to learn, but it was just funny that, you know, 
uh, for $2, you can rent shoots and ladders. And I was like, okay, but I do want to give a big shout out to our listener, Jerry Reese. He steered me right by going to the Nationals ball game, told me where that my seats were good. The food was good. Amazing. I uh, just seeing the stripe on that outfield on the grass mowing. You just, it's professional. It's like a professional ballpark. What can I say? But loved it. Had a great time. Jerry, thank you so much for steering me clear on that and keeping me straight on the Metro and all that fun stuff up in D.C. I love visiting D.C. They're opening the Smithsonian's again. Oh, I enjoyed visiting D.C. Yeah, I do too. It's a, it's a nice place to visit. Wouldn't want to live there, but nice place to visit. Also, when I was in uh, Missoula, I did while the Vanessa was out shopping around. I got online and listened to the press conference for restoration games and little did i know that you was gonna you were gonna be on there too well you told me to be on there can you be on there and i said yeah marty i can be on there and you said i did and then i didn't realize that we both logged in using the same account (laughs) so both of us are chatting in the chat with our show name unknown to each other that we're doing it and so we're like spamming chat (laughs) and people are like what is going on here and the people have no clue that it's both of us that are talking. So I apologize. It was anybody that was in the chat and we were like going back and forth. It's like this, this conversation having makes no sense because we were both saying stuff at the same time. But Tony, they announced a lot of cool stuff. They've got, you know, great deals with target where there's going to be fireball Island and Downforce that's going to be in there. Uh, they got brand new, uh, unmatched battle legions box coming out with like a, a bloody Mary and Achilles. Bloody Mary looks amazing. A remake of key to the kingdom. Have you ever played that? No, I have not. I haven't either. Uh, Dark Castle is being worked on. Uh, two big exciting announcements. Mm-hmm. One is Unmatched is coming to the PC on Steam. So you'll be able to play your friends in Unmatched. And Tony, I'll let you have the next well, announcement. Well, I want to go back to the Unmatched that I found very interesting. They can't release all the characters due to licensing issues with Mondo mm-hmm. and from that standpoint. But I did find that very interesting. That Unmatched, asynchronous, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I'll I'll do that. And then, of course, finally, they announced it. We've known about it probably for a year since Rob Davio has been on, and we have kept our mouths closed. See, we can keep secrets here at Rolling Dice and taking (laughs) names. We knew that they were going to announce Thunder Road Vendetta. Very exciting. The copter's going to be there. That's my copter sound. And we don't know much about it, except that uh, Rob said, you know what? We're going to do the typical restoration games. We're going to gamify it a little bit. I hope it's not gamified too much. I love the chaos. As long as it keeps the chaos of the original, I'll be happy. Modular boards are a must. Copter was a must for me, but this is October Kickstarter. So I'm excited. Thunder Road, Instaback on Kickstarter for me. Yeah, that's right. And final little bit of news just happens today as we record. Spiel de Jars announced their winners. Congratulations to Micro Macro Crime City. Never played it, but I heard a bunch of good things about it. And the Kenner Spiel went to Paleo. Congratulations to it. I would like to check it out sometime. I was pulling for uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Tony, but uh, being in that group is still. Uh, is good in itself. So congratulations uh, to those winners. And I look forward to trying those out sometime. I, I have one more bit of news, Tony, about Kickstarter going back to kind of Thunder Road. In the next couple of days when this episode uh, drops, there's, good, there's a Kickstarter running right now called Distilled. 
The owner of the company and the designer of the game, Dave Beck, contacted us. He said, hey, I'm a frequent listener of your podcast. Uh, would you guys be interested in, in checking this out? We didn't get to have a chance to play the prototype because of our travel schedules and everything like that. But this was really interesting because this was a finalist in the Cardboard Edison Award. And what that is is basically a, a, a lot of uh, games are pitched and they pitch which one is the is the best design. And this was one of the finalists in there. Well, now it's come to fruition. It's out on Kickstarter right now. And Tony, have you seen the theme of this? It's really cool. It's talking about it's a medium weight euro about crafting alcohol spirits. And I thought, okay, so it's kind of tacked on. But when I was reading through the actions and how it works, I went, no, this is not a tacked on theme. They have some really cool concepts of getting your ingredients and aging them and stuff like that. So I'm really curious to check this out when it comes out. Plus, you know me, I love my medium weight euro games. And if it's highly thematic, then this is something they're going to be pretty interested in. And this is fully funded. I mean, he's he's got over 300K at the time of this recording. And what I found funny about this, Marty, was here we did. We talked about a game called Brew, where you were thinking about alcohol making beer. And here is Distilled, which is actually about making alcohol. It sure is. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, congratulations to him. I think that's really uh, neat. To, uh, you, you have these competitions uh, around where different game designs are brought together and they they go through and pick which one's the favorite but usually the ones that kind of rise to the top in those types of, of competitions and stuff are usually pretty darn good and this is one of those again distilled a spirit strategy game it's when this episode drops you've only got a couple days left to go back it like tony said fully funded ready to go so go check it out I am always amazed by the products that Miniature Market releases. Tony, we've talked about some of their other products from the Game Plus line in the past. We, I've talked about their the foam uh, for miniatures and their bags for carrying miniatures, which is part of the Game Plus. They have card sleeves, which they've had for a while. They've got the bags, like one of the bags that we gave away at our strike tournament a couple years ago. Just recently, they have the deck boxes of and the uh, shoulder bags for cards, which I tell you, Tony, anybody that's picked up one of those to come back and said, worth it because it is a great product for inexpensive price. Well, today they dropped on us. Hey, guys, check this out. We now carry a whole line of dice. And Tony, I'm not talking about like a couple dice. It was pages of dice, tons of different colors, tons of different designs. They got metal dice, but here's the crazy thing, y'all. Usually when you buy like a basic set of Chessex dice, like if you go to Amazon and get just a seven, all these are, by the way, are seven dice sets, which is typically used in like D&D. So it's, you know, D4, D8, D8, D10, D6, D12, D20, etc. When you go to uh, Amazon and look at Chessex prices for just basic dice, you're paying six or seven dollars for just a basic colored set. The basic colored sets here are just three bucks. If they get a little bit fancy, they may be four dollars or six dollars. And then Tony, there's metal dice. I saw that metal dice. $8 for metal dice? Are you kidding me? If you do get those metal dice, be sure to get the miniature market tray. That's very important. Because ah. you don't want to ding up your uh, gaming space if you don't have a good mat. Also, one thing I want to mention about the miniature market, you know, you got your get $99, you'll get your free uh, shipping. Here's a good way to just, if you're at $97, bam, <laughs> there you go. There it is, right there. Throw in a set of dice, throw in the dice here, and don't forget the miniature uh, market dice bag too, which is brand new. A big old dice bag for holding a, a bunch of dice and 
Today, when this episode drops, Tony, there is a sale going on, a big sale. Unfortunately, we don't know what it is. We just know that a sale is, is starting today. So head over to miniaturemarket.com to check out the sale and all these great dice. And we'll have a link to the page with all the dice in our show notes. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Go, go, power Tony, you probably missed the whole Power Rangers craze, or did your daughter get into it? No, she did not. She had nothing to do with the Power Rangers. Now, the Powderpuff Girls, she was all into that. My uh, kids really didn't get to it much either, but I had some cousins that did. So I knew a lot about the Power Rangers growing up. I I can't say that. My sons actually watched some of it and got into some of the early ones. So it was really interesting when uh, Renegade Games said, hey, would you guys want to check out the Power Rangers deck building game? Now, Tony, we typically like deck building games, right? Especially if there's a little bit of a twist. And when we got the game, we found out, you know what? There is a cool little twist here. One person plays as a villain and the other person plays as the Power Rangers or basically teams. Best way to play is teams. 2v2, you could do 2v1. And each of you plays a certain character. And Tony, what I love about it is if you know how to play deck building games, you can get into this right off the bat, right? It's the basic concept of every deck building game. Absolutely. Now, and some of the things about deck builders, they're tried and true for success. One of the things is how well you can get through your cards. So that's one of the things as we're playing this, I'm looking for how well can I cycle my cards? Is there any way to get rid of dead stuff in in my hands? All of that. Checkbox. This game has that for me. Then I'm like, okay, is it just a simple beat down? Is it the magic um, st- stuff oh, rehashed? How did they add the twist? And I think, Marty, for me, that twist came in when you were able to equip things to your Power Ranger or to your villain. I found that to be very intriguing. It enhanced the play of your character. So it wasn't always, oh, here's five cards. Go buy something. Play those cards later. You could actually put them on your character. And I found that very refreshing. Mm -hmm. And the cards had a lot of the basic things. There there were multi-use cards, which I'm a fan of. Your card might be used to generate currency to buy cards in the market. And those cards could be like event cards or attachments, as Tony said, to put onto your character. Because everybody's character starts out like low level, like your Power Ranger starts out with just as a regular teenager. But once you get attachments all around that character, they flip to the Power Ranger side and then they're a little bit more powerful. So you're trying to buy things to attach to your character. And also, you can also spend cards to generate energy and you spend energy to take actions. Like say there's maybe some attachments on your character where you can spend energy to tap that attachment and do a particular action with it. So you're buying cards that may not necessarily stay in your deck. Like Tony said, you're going to attach them and then use energy to activate them. Again, that part was different. Another thing that I found very refreshing in this game was that if you were playing as the villain, that when cards would come up, they had some villain at villains in the deck. And so as a, as the Power Ranger, I need to defeat those power, those villains. The, the, oh, what are the little, the muddies? 
But the putties, I think they were called putties. If there are putties out there, then I will take damage if I don't defeat them. So it's not like I can go and attack the villain, Marty. I need to kill the putties because I'm going to take damage if I'm not there. All that's part of the game. That I enjoyed that part of the game. Well, and also the other way, I played the villain and there were allies mm. for you that if I didn't take care of them, they hurt me. This game is designed by Dan, Dan Planchett and Matt Hyra. And if Matt Hyra sounds familiar, he's the one that designed Vampire Rivals. And like in Vampire Rivals, you know, in the city deck, they have those guys that come out, the sad. And if you don't kill them, you take damage every turn. So it's the same sort of thing. Sometimes you have to spend your turn getting rid of those guys in the market that are going to deal damage to you. But typically when you do, you also get a little bit of a bonus. Then there was a concept that we didn't get to explore very much because we didn't do a good job. Me and Mark were playing as the Power Rangers and Marty was the villain. It was the ability that if I had enough cards in there, I could come out with the Megazoid. Yeah, so what happens is is what you everybody's got to get to the Power Rangers side and everybody's got to take their specialty card and apply it to the Megazord. And when you do, you can basically transform into the Megazord and then you're a big guy fighting. But then the villains on the other side can attach masters to the lair and its ongoing abilities that make masters better. So what's cool, Tony, is you start out very weak, but as you build your deck and get attachments and flip to the Power Ranger side and flip to the better villain side, the battles become more epic. You get to do more cool stuff. It has a really cool build-up mechanic to a big fight in the end with the whole goal of knocking the other person's life down to zero. And if you do, you win the game. Right, But that is a typical deck builder. That concept of I'm going to ramp it up and then suddenly it's going to be a slugfest and whoever gets through that quickest is going to win. Key things for me in this game were the fact that I was able to do some attachments to my character, multi-use cards, and the fact that if it's more than just two people going at it, I like how it was 2v2. It actually worked, felt cooperative to me versus in some of these games where you have the 2v2, it's not cooperative. It's just beat this person down, beat this person down, then let's go after this person. I like that aspect of this game. How about for you? Everything you said in, in spades, I like the fact that, uh, kind of like we talked about with uh, Rocket Man, how there's cards that you get that you buy that actually attaches to your rocket. Same sort of deal here, so I like that. If you're a Power Rangers fan, if you had kids that like Power Rangers, you grew up playing Power Rangers, and you like deck building games, I think you owe it to yourself to check it out. If you're not as interested in the theme, I think it does help to understand who the Power Rangers are, who the baddies are. You'll just appreciate it more, and the whole concept of, you know, I'm trying to get the Megazord and you're like, what's the Megazord, etc. So if you're a Power Rangers fan and deck builder fan, I really think you should check it out. If you're a deck builder fan who just likes really interesting deck builders, then this might be something you want to check out also. This is Power Rangers, the deck building game for Minigay Games. Five minute initiative is complete. So the next thing we're going to talk about is not a board game. It's about gum. Juicy fruit. That's right. <laughs> Marty and I would grow up, go to the store. We'd get us some juicy fruit bubble gum. And there was a theme song that Marty started singing when we were playing this board game. And I forget what it was. Juicy fruit. Yeah, it was this one. Juicy fruit is gone and move ya. It juices soft. It gets right to ya. Juicy fruit. The taste, the taste, the taste is gonna move ya. But I think that was maybe the incentive or what made Christopher 
I'm sorry, Christian Stoer, Stoer, S-T-O-H-R, come up with a game that was published by Capstone Games called Juicy Fruit. I'm sorry, Juicy Fruits that we got to play that has some big chunky bits to it. Huge chunky bits, Marty. Things that came and hit the table and made a huge <laughs> clonking sound. Huge tracts of land. I'm sorry. When you said that, that's, that's exactly what came to my head. And these are fruits. And in Tony, typical rule fashion, as I explained it to Donna, after Marty explained it to me, you remember those little puzzle games where you're sliding them around to try to get them in order? You're talking about like like they have like, uh, what are they, like one through 11 or one through nine or something like that? Yeah. And you slide up left left and right, try to get them in numerical order. I do remember that. Yes. Yes. And it's a, a very good at one through 11 because you needed to always have an open space so that they could slide around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so in this game, Juicy Fruit, think of that game. You got it in your head? I got it in my head. That's what you're doing. You have baskets of fruit on an island and your job is is to go collect these fruits, and you do it by sliding them. But if you run into something, you have to stop. The number of spaces you move it is how much fruit you collect. Simple concept. Slide the fruit basket, collect the fruit. But why would you want to collect fruit? Because you have boats around your island, and they want to ship those to the mainland. So you're trying to fill up the boats, and they want specific fruits. Or you're an entrepreneur. And you want to build various buildings on your island that will allow you the ability to get more fruit or maybe a building that lets you build a bigger building or maybe a special in-game scoring mechanism. Because at the end of this game, all you want to do is have the most victory points. I haven't said that in so long, Marty. That's juicy fruits in a orange peel. Not in a nutshell, in an orange shell. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much nailed it. And it's one of those things that when I first read the rules, it, it's like after all these years, I thought I was to the point to where if I read rules, I would know whether I would like it or get it. And this was one of those I went, uh, okay, I'll try it. But it was a lot better than what I had in my head. Once I started playing, I was like, okay, this is really good. Because at first I kind of just read, okay, you slide tiles on your player board, collect fruit, you're turning that fruit for victory points. The most victory points wins. You know, I distilled it. Ha, use the name of the Kickstarter from <laughs> earlier. I distilled it down to that little thing, and I didn't do it justice because the most fun in this game is sliding those tokens around on your board because once you run to the edge of the board, it's, it's a grid. Your board is a grid of five by four squares, and you start out with just five different fruits on them. If you, like Tony said, if you run up against another piece of fruit or another piece of cardboard, you have to stop. Or if you get to the edge, you stop. So sometimes you want to adjust your fruit such that you can slide all the way across the board and get tons of fruit, which might be useful for getting, like I said, different types of buildings. And the buildings come out randomly, Tony, each, each uh, game. Uh, there are some buildings going to be easier to get than others. But what's interesting is, Tony, is as you add buildings to your board, that covers up more spaces, which means there's now less room to slide things around on the board. It became a very interesting puzzle. Yes, it's exactly. It's the number little sliding puzzle or where you're trying to make a picture. You're absolutely right. Now, some of the buildings, yes, they, some are stationary. Some are additional baskets that have multiple fruits in them. That is part of the strategy. And when you went and go collect those buildings, that's the game mechanism right there that was the timer. 
that when someone removes one of those buildings from the supply, then that slides down the timer and based on the number of players will determine how many rounds that you get to go. One of those buildings is very, very special, and that is the ice cream shop building. That's what I called it. Mm. And if you put that on your board, you're allowed to slide that on your turn. And if you have the right fruits for that ice cream, you can then make that ice cream and get victory points. Or you can make a shake if you turn in two fruits. And depending on the number of spaces you move, you get to make that many number of ice creams or shakes. It all depends on what you want to do. That's another way to score points. So all these buildings are in there. In-game scoring, ice cream shop, all of that stuff is how you're going to generate your points. And that's just the base game. So for me, now I will say this, Marty, about this game, is that there's no interaction for me. Uh, except maybe somebody taking something that you wanted. That's pretty much it. Yes. So you do have to account for them and what fruits they're doing. You have to plan for that, mm-hmm. but it's not like I'm going to go over there and mess up your board unless people own the same type. There's three types of ice cream shop. And unless two people own the same type, then there's, that's more interaction. They can mess you up. So you have to plan according for that. But other than that, it's me sitting over there putting this puzzle together. How do I slide these pieces so I don't block some pieces in and then I can't move them and then I got, I'm wasting a turn. That's the game to me. That was where it was a b- big part of the game. Oh, I forgot to mention, uh, you're talking about the sliding the blocks around the board. When you set up the game board at the very beginning of the game, uh, Tony talked about those ships that you're going to uh, can put fruit on and, and move, them aw- uh, move them away. They're actually covering edge spaces of your island. So you can't move onto those spaces till you ship. Tony, my strategy in the second game that we played was I'm going to try to get those ships away from the island as fast as possible because that basically unlocks the edges of the board, which allows me to put more cardboard on the board or allows me to slide further on the board to get more fruit. Again, just another aspect of the game. It's like, what I want to do first? Do I want to try to get a bunch of fruit and then grab a building? Do I want to try to ship first? It's really cool. So I want to point to something that occurred in our second game of this. When you're setting up your board, you are everybody starts with the same types of baskets. You've got the, the lime, the orange, the mangosteen, um, the pomegranate, and the banana. Those are the five main mm-hmm. fruits. For those of us who were playing it, that became the pomegranate, became the tomato, the, um, (laughs) I'm sorry, it did. And then we had the plum. I can't help it. It was purple. It's a plum to me. But anyway, when you're setting up those ships, there's the green ships and the brown ships. And you draw them out of the bag and you're going to draw six green and six brown. And it goes around the circle. That's random. And I found that in our second game, I seem to have had some very challenging supplies to ship. It just seemed like I was getting a lot more eights and everybody else was getting the twos and four victory points. So it means I needed to collect more um, fruit, which was fine, mm-hmm. but because even I would get more in reward. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I had to work hard, but I got maybe twice as many victory points as you did when I shipped versus you. So I think that's something that randomness keeps you on your toes on what your strategy may need to be. And you mentioned there was another version of the game. If you flip over the main board, uh, there's also where you can create juice. And the second game that we play, we introduced that. And there's a concept at the top of the board where you have your player tokens. And on your turn, basically on your turn, you're going to do, you're going to slide, get some fruit, and then you can spend that fruit for something. If you use this other variant, you have a third option. 
in order to spend fruit to move along this track at the top of the board, which allows you to basically create more uh, victory points, Tony. It's just another way to get victory points and spend your fruit creatively to get those points. And uh, with the making of the juice, that's got more interaction. Because if someone moves onto a spot, they may block a victory point. It doesn't keep you from going to that tank, but you won't get victory points. So there's a lot mm. more interaction, so you need to be thinking about that if you're pursuing that type of mechanism in the game. I will say this, and that this will be it for me on Juicy Fruits. Enjoyed the game with four. Enjoyed the game with three. Did not enjoy the game with two. Why is that? Uh, when the buildings came out, we had um, two different ice cream shops. And so it became a race of making the ice cream. I found mm -hmm. that there wasn't as much competition or planning. I pretty much did my thing. Donna pretty much did her thing. I did not have the same level of strategy. Okay. Mm. It, became, it became very solitary. And this plays one to four, but I wasn't playing the one version. I was playing the two version. So Donna was doing her thing. I was doing my thing. It kind of dropped from, on me for that on the two-player. So definitely, I think three or four is a must-play for this. That just means the three or four-player will take a little bit longer. Uh, but it's not bad. It's The uh, play times are probably right an hour with the four players. And this is also uh, from Deep Print Games, uh, Tony, which you may remember. Did you, you remember playing Renature from um, Capstone Games? Did you ever play Renature? Yes, I did. And we're not going to rehash what I said about Renature either. I was in a grumpy mood. Yeah, I know. No, I'm just saying it's it's, it's kind of the same weight to me. Mm, okay. uh, so if you know how Renature is and how it is, this kind of has the same puzzly feel to it. It's kind of the same weight. It's like once you get into it, it's very easy to follow. And this is recommended for ages 10 and up, which I think could easily, easily play that. So I enjoyed it. It was one of those things that was a pleasant surprise to me. I'm enjoying these games from uh, Deep Print Games, which is kind of Capstone's a little bit lighter Euro games. So if you like Renature and that weight of game, then try out Juicy Fruits. And if you like those little sliding puzzles, that's exactly what this is, which is another reason that I really enjoyed it. And I will say this, I said I wouldn't say any more, but I'm saying some more, so sorry about that. I found the in-game scoring mechanisms to be not, you know, like... Some of these in-game scoring mechanisms where we go and say, well, how in the heck is this going to work? These are straightforward. I mm. love that. I love to be able, oh, by the way, you're going to get a straight up five points. Oh, if you've cleared all your beaches, you get four points for each beach. And every game we played, we did have some tight finishes. It was never like suddenly, I mean, it looked like somebody was way out in front, but suddenly everybody just ran to the end of the pack. So the game quickly escalated at the end. So Juicy Fruits, Capstone Games, check it out. Juicy Fruit, the taste, the taste, the taste is gonna move ya. Last year, Tony and I gave our Squirrely Award for two-player game to Stellar for Matt Rilla and Ben Pinchback. This was a solid two-player game published by Renegade Games that we absolutely love. So when Renegade said, hey, guys, you know that uh, game you gave a Squirrely Award to? Those two designers have another game coming out called Subastral? Subastral. Subastral. It's not a two-player game. You can play it to five players, but uh, you want to check it out? And I went, heck, yes, we do. So first I had to look up and see what Subastral means. And Tony, it means located lower than the stars. Did you know that? Nope. Didn't need to. 
<laughs> but Tony, you remember when we played Stellar and we read the rules and we were very confused because we were like, we don't know how this is going to work. Uh, yeah, something's not, eh, it wasn't ticking. I w- understand what to do, but I don't know why I'm doing it. We had the exact same thing with sub, sub- I cannot say that right. Sebastral? No, In that- no, that's not even close. Sebastral. Subastral? Subastral. Sub. Sub astral. Astral. Sub astral. Yeah. Read my list. Sub. Sub. <laughs> astral. And that's with the southern draw. <laughs> so we read the rules of this game. It was really straightforward. You have a hand of cards, it's eight different suits. The suits range in numbers from one to six. In the middle of the table, you have six cloud cards, each numbered one, two, three, four, five, six. On your turn, you'll take a card from your hand. You'll play it on the card that matches the same number. And then you'll pick up cards. And depending on which side of the board you pick it up from, you're either going to put it into play or put it in your hand. And then at the end of the game, you score points. And I'm like, I don't understand. (laughs) And we all sat there going, we read the rules to each other. We were looking at the final scoring. It's like, well, the goal is to get sets of stuff, matching sets and differing sets, but how does it work? And one of us said, just start playing. Mm -hmm. And then Tony, as we got halfway through the game, you could tell each one of us were going, oh, oh, it's like the light bulb started going off on how elegant and really cool this card game is. So for me, it was, okay, I'm hearing you. I'm listening to you. I'm repeating back what I'm hearing. I'm like, let's just play because there was one concept I kept missing in this. When you were building the rows, it's rows and columns. You can put cards up to eight of the different suits in a row. And then when you add another card of that same suit to a column, it drops down to the next row. It's not like you keep adding to the first row. There's only You can only have eight columns in the first row, and those are the various suits. But when you add, then you create a new row. And this is where the scoring comes in. You may only count in the row the consecutive number of columns you have. If there is a gap, your count stops. And based on that number and a number of columns, you will score points based on a very nice table they put at the end of the rule book. And I didn't get to see it, so I'm assuming there's some math behind that. One thing, stellar was stellar. This is amazing. Love. Wow. Love this game. I'll I'll get your final thoughts at at the end. So I just want everybody to understand what's going on because here's another interesting point. So remember when I said you take one of your cards and you put it out? uh, Let's say I take the four and I put it on the four card in the middle of the table. I have an option. I can take anything, any cards from below the four, uh, three, two, and one. I can take cards from the five or six. And basically, as people put these cards out, you have, you could have multiple cards per cloud. The thing is, though, if I pick up the cards to the left, three, two, and one less, those cards go in my hand. The cards that I pick up to the right of the one I played actually go onto the table at that point. Which is called your journal. Oh, well, sorry for interrupting, but that's called your journal. Your journal. Yes, it's called your journal. So those are what is your scoring mechanism. 
And this is the part it's like, but why would I ever want to play a certain number card? And then you start realizing the value of the cards. Because if you could get ones in your hand when you played a one, that means you could pick up anything to the right of it, two, three, four, five, or six. So you had more options to pick up the cards you might want to get into your journal on the table to score the points. But this is where it's subtle. Oh, yeah. Numbers don't mean a whole lot of other than that's where you're going to play it, what clouds you're playing it on. That's all it means and gives you the option of either going to be able to have a choice of a lot of cards put in your journal or cards into your hand. It's the suit. What's the word? I'm Rarity. How many cards are in a suit? Because once again, we go back to the rows and columns that you're building in your journal because you want the cards that are rare in the deck that aren't that many to be at the end of your row. The right-hand side. To the right-hand yeah. side. Unless you're doing, what's the term? Magna? Mag, what was it? Where you read the book from back to front? Oh, manga. Manga. Unless you're or ma- manga or, ma- or manga. Ma- yeah, manga. Unless you're playing the manga version of this. But we're not, so let's not confuse. Let's not confuse people about that. So you want those rare cards over there. However, as people are playing, they're looking at your cards thinking, all right, I'm going to put this card down. It's rare that I may need later and hope that nobody picks it up. But if they do, it might mess up one of their rows because they already have that suit played earlier, or they may need a card in that suit to help them out. So I'm going to mess them up by playing this rare card on top of it. That's where that subtle strategy comes in. And and you can hear it in my voice. That's the kind of game. I love card games that do this, that get that subtle strategy that you've got to be watching the other people, what they're doing and how you play cards can impact their ability later or possibly set up something for you as it goes around the table to where you gain a huge advantage if they're not paying attention. That's what I love. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize what we mean by this whole rarity thing. So let's say, for example, you start out your very first row with one of the rare cards, meaning there's not as many of those in the deck. Let's say that you go ahead and fill out your first row. Let's say you get all eight of the different suits. Awesome, big scoring. So then any cards you get then will go to your second row. But here's the thing. You need that rare card to be the first card in your second row. And if it's hard to get and you can't get it, when you score, remember Tony said, the first time you run up against a gap, you don't score. So if you don't have a card in that first column of the second row, you score nothing on that second row. Absolutely. You may have filled out the other seven, but that first card was a rare one and you weren't ever able to pick it up. You are messed up big time. Nothing counts for none of it. And if you didn't get that second row, guess what? That third row is going to be useless, that fourth row. So all (laughs) that's part of the strategy, all part of the planning. So you're like, oh, I'll just throw a card on the table and then take some. I'll always put them in my journal. You can't do that because if it comes your turn and you have no cards to put on the cloud, you just simply draw a card off the deck, turn's done. That's it. You just wasted a turn and every turn is very important. Also, when you pick up the cards to put in your hand, you always draw to the left of it, the clouds you want, plus one from the deck. Game does not last long. Uh, For me, uh, once again, this is an excellent game. Three player, four player. Uh, You said this goes to five, Marty? Yep. That's a great player count. I'd be interested to play it with two. 
This will be a must-have in my game bag. This is a great in-the-night wow. in game for me. Stellar, same things. I love Stellar. Donna and I play it all the time. So this, another pinchback riddle. These guys are, you know, hey, what can I say? I, I, I'll, anything from pitchback riddle, I'm there with. Yeah. We didn't mention at the end of your turn, you're going to take a card uh, off the draw deck and replace from the cloud that you got it. And we also didn't mention ones and sixes are valuable, Tony. If you play a six, you can actually wrap around and pick up off the one, uh, which is nice also. Yeah. So a lot of nuances to the game. Read the rules, try to explain it, but just play it. Yeah. Literally, y'all, we played for f- half the game until it was so funny. We all went, oh, it, it, we all had that moment in the game where I went, oh, oh. And as soon as we were done, we said, set it up and do it again. The setup is super quick. You deal out cards and you set it in the middle of the table and you're done and you're ready to go. But Tony, what was so funny. Oh, so once again, sto- games that tell stories. Here's our story. <laughs> tell on yourself, Marty. I absolutely did amazing on the first game. I scored like 60-something points. I had a first full row. I had a lot of cards in my second row. Oh, by the way, the other way you score is matching sets. You take the two columns with the most cards of the same cards, and you'll score based on the number of cards in each one. It's one point per card in each column. So there's two ways to score there. So you could get a lot of one type of card and also score points that way. So anyway, so I did really well, and I said, Guys, I got this. Set this up. We're playing again. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want those rare cards at the beginning. No, no, give me the ones that have a lot. I want the lot at the beginning. We play the entire game. Tony, Mark, and Bert all increased their score from the first game. Mine was cut in half. I don't know what that says about me, except the fact that I must have got super lucky the first game. Or... Even though I understood what was going on, I just didn't play it very well. <laughs> Which goes to the point of it is a card game. So some of that does play the randomness of the cards, what you draw, what you made, but a lot of it's right in front of you. And it's also, it shows that the aha moments for the other players of what are you going to be doing or, man, I really need this card. And you did. You needed that one little card and, and we wouldn't give it to you. My gosh, you would not. You and I, it would be on the table. It's like, let me have that. Somebody would take it. And, and with four player, I can't imagine with five player. That was, there's one thing. The board state will change by the time it comes back to you. So you can't plan your turn out. Two player be a lot easier to plan your turn because you kind of see what you're going to get. But literally, once you play a card, you might as well not even look at what's available because until it gets back to you, it, the board state will totally change what you'll be able to pick up. Yeah, but it's not like you got to agonize over it. Cause it's pretty straightforward. Oh man, it's so good. From from the the idea of like if if you pick up to the right of the card, it goes into play, to the left of the card, it goes in your hand, to the rarity of the cards, all those little things, man. Yeah. So I don't know, Tony, could you say you like one more than the other between Stellar and Subastral? Subastral? Sub Subastral? Subastral? So that too? Yes. Um, yep. No, they're two different games. One is a one is a two-player game only. The other mm-hmm. one is a multiplayer card game that I think is brilliant with four. Very subtle, 
very subtle strategies for me at least that you'll pick up on where stellar did not have any so you just you knew what you had to do in in stellar how you did it though was a challenge and it was a fun two-player interactive game so yes yeah i love very much enjoyed playing this game and can't wait to do it again so this is sebastral from matt riddle ben pinchback plays 15 to 30 minutes two to five players list price on this thing's like 22 bucks you're going to want to throw this in your bag head over to shopportalgames.com where you can see the big splash for the pre-order that's going on. That's right. There's a pre-order for Dune House Secrets, an original tabletop game from Portal Games. This looks amazing, Marty. It's got all these cool-looking characters, characters with this big red cloak on them. Got a bunch of stuff on it. If you do a pre-order, you get a bunch of bonuses. As the time of this recording, there's bonus number one. There's character backstories. That's fluff. Who doesn't want to get some fluff? Bonus number two, secret messages for each character. Bonus number three, you get postcards from Tell Geezer. Is is he making fun of me? Tell tell a geezer? No, T-E-L. I don't know enough about Dune, so I'm just going to leave it at that. So you need to go over there to Portal Games, get your pre-order in for this game. It's scheduled to come out in the end of this year, in 2021. We all know how well Portal has been meeting their goals, so you can count on this. Marty, that's not going to be $5 later. I'm just I'm just giving Ignacy incentive to make sure he gets that game out there for everybody. So head over to Portal Games. I'm sorry. I'm so used to saying it. Shopportalgames.com to check out all their new stuff that's hitting their stores. Including Million Dollar Script, which is going to be out now. We played it earlier. You're seeing a lot more about online. This is the party game that he just now released. So if you're interested in that, you can get that and pre-order Dune. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Mondrian Blocks from Smart Egg Publishing is a puzzle game that reminds me a lot of like Tangrams. You get this really cool plastic case and when you open the lid underneath are 11 various size rectangle pieces sitting on top of a grid board and the board is an 8 by 8 grid. Underneath that grid board is a stack of cards and these cards are what's going to be used to set up the puzzle. You remove all the plastic pieces from the grid board, and then there are three black pieces that will be placed on the board based on the type of puzzle that you're doing. So the card that you have will show you where on the 8x8 grid to put the three starting black pieces. At that point, all you got to do is get all the remaining pieces to fit in the spaces that are left on the board. Sounds simple, right? Well, some of the puzzles are easy. Some of the ones are difficult because you have 88 different puzzles in this one game. They start out with some that are a little bit easier, and as you progress, they're going to get harder and harder to do. Now, I had a great time sitting down and doing this. I love just taking out all the pieces, putting them on the table, grabbing one of the cards, setting up the starting pieces, and just going at it. It was fun just to sit there and try to work out the puzzle in my head. Well, this square may work here. This smaller square may work here. Well, here's this one rectangle piece. Well, that rectangle piece isn't going to fit anywhere. Remove everything. Start all over again. And the production of this thing is so nice. These are big, chunky, colorful plastic pieces that you can pick up and sort. 
and place on the board. It collapses into a nice little plastic case where everything's sealed and nothing will move inside the case. And again, it reminds me of those old Tangram puzzles that we used to do as kids where you're given all these pieces and you had to fit all the pieces like into a, typically a lot of times it was a square. You had to fit all the pieces to make them fit and form a square on a, on a piece of paper. Except this is one game with 88 different puzzles. Now you may think, well, once you solve all 88 puzzles, then you're done. Well, except that the chances of you remembering the solution for every single puzzle is pretty slim. When I first started playing this, I was sitting around with uh, my son and my sister, and I tried it out. My sister wanted to try it, and she tried a different puzzle. And then and my son, Adam, would end up being really, really good at these things and solving everything. We, we just take times passing it around the table and playing. Because by itself, it's just a solo game. I guess we could have been helping each other out. But you could also buy multiple copies of this and maybe race against each other. So there are four different versions of this based on colors. There's a white version, yellow, red, and blue. So if both of you buy a blue version, you could pick card 40. We pull that out, put in our starting blocks, hit a timer and go. And the first one to solve it wins. Of course, you could do that with, with multiple copies of this game. My sister and my wife, who are teachers, saw this and thought this would be really good for students. My sister teaches um, middle school and she thought this would be a nice little thing just to have in the classroom. And when a student's done with an assignment, uh, you give this to them. She, she's a math teacher. You give this to them and say, OK, go, you know, solve puzzle, whatever. Or, you know, get multiple of these and have some little competitions within the school. So whether something you think that would be good just for kids to learn how to solve puzzles or for yourself, because again, I, I just love sitting down. I mean, really, I would just take this and leave it on my desk at work or at home. And every so often, just pop open the lid, pull out one of the cards and start playing. I mean, you can get the same sort of thing on the phone, play the same sort of thing, but the, the having tactile pieces to pick up and move and place on the board. It's just a really good feeling when you finally solve it and you drop that final piece in on the puzzle. Yeah, I tell you, if you like these sort of puzzle games and if you've played a lot of Tetris, that will really help too. Then this again is Mondrian Blocks and you can go out to their website, Mondrian, M-O-N-D-R-I-A-N blocks.com and you can order from there. It'll take you actually over to the Amazon page where they're selling it there. These are $29.90 on Amazon. Again, there's four different ones. You like puzzle games? You need to go look at this one. Check the links in the show notes for more information. Five minute initiative is complete. Tony, I finally got my eWin desk put together. And I must say, dude, it's pretty stinking nice. I had a horrible beast of a desk before, and I love the minimization of this desk. It has this nice carbon fiber top, which makes it lightweight. It was really easy to put together. It's got these like aluminum legs. And I got a little button over here. You can't see it, but I can turn on and off the lights and I have like lights going up and down around the edge of the desk and up and down the legs. I look all techno and everything. Does it go up and down? It does not go up and down. So it is not it's not one of those types of desks, which is fine. But actually, one thing I love about it is I have my E-Win chair and the height of my other desk didn't work to where the chair wouldn't go underneath the desk. Here it does, which I love. So between the E-Win desk and the E-Win chair, uh, this is a solid little thing. And it's also very cool. I mean, like air conditioned cool. My other desk, the sides were closed and got no circulation. I didn't realize how hot my legs got <laughs> until I had a desk that was open all around. It's just, 
I, I love it, man. If if y'all are looking for a good, just solid desk, again, there's no drawers or anything like that. It does have a nice little cup holder. It's just a minimal desk. And I like this minimal style of desk. You can get 30% off right now at Ewin Racing. You can use our code RDTN, get 30% off on the chair, 30% off on the desk. And it's one of those things, the chairs are probably more easy to like. Anybody can use a chair. It's just whether you think the desk would fit your needs or not. I desperately needed one. I had to find a place to put all the crap that was in my drawers, Tony. So I'm having to organize and fix all that and everything. But I'm very impressed with it. And uh, it's stain resistant. Uh, It's nice. I like it. And I like the fact that, well, first off, paper. Believe it or not, it's going by the wayside, which is fine. You know, not know, I don't need to have a bunch of files in my desk. I think my wife's about one of the few people that still keeps two filing cabinets or something. But yes, looking forward to seeing that. How many monitors do you think you can get on it? On Honestly, only two big ones. I've got two 27-inch on it right now. I could get... I could probably go up to 232. And I agree with you that having that open frame, like the desk I have is a neighbor was getting rid of it. It's an old style desk with drawers and everything. I can't slide my chair underneath it, my Ewan racing chair, Mm -hmm. because the sides hit it. So it's kind of like I have to sit away from it. So it's not the best thing for my posture. So from that standpoint, you know, yeah, I may have to look at getting me an Ewan racing desk as well to kind of like, uh, open it up, you know, get rid of this thing. I'll take some pictures of it and uh, put it on our uh, blog post for this. If you just want to go see the pictures, you can. Again, you get 30% off. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll try to take a quick little video, maybe share it on Twitter or uh, Instagram and showing how the lights work and everything like that. I'll do a comparison, contrast comparison between my old desk and this one. Uh, they make good products. Again, y'all, 30% off. We don't get anything back from it, by the way. Uh, people have been ordering a lot of chairs as an affiliate, we don't get anything there's no, back. There's no from compensation. We get thirty percent off. That's it. I couldn't. I couldn't think. I mean, we did get the chair. We did get the desk. That is. That is really nice compensation. But uh, at this point on, it's like you know, it's just if you like the products, thirty percent off. I think is the best. Still, the best coupon I've ever seen, and I believe it still stacks. Meaning, if they're having a sale, you can get thirty percent off that sale with the with the code. As typical, rolling dice and taking name fashion, we've got to talk a little bit about the switch now. Marty wanted me to get a new switch. And I, I said, no, enough. You make me spend too much of my money as it is. I'm not ordering this new Switch Pro OLED type game system. I don't need it. But I did go out and get my Mario Golf. And let me, yep. let me just say, I haven't played that far enough along to give this a full treatment of the Rolling Dice Taking Names review of a Switch game. But so far, I'm just doing the adventure mode. I've been doing the the tournaments, but I haven't gotten to this extreme golf yet, which I know is coming up. And I'm like, why do I need to race with people on a golf course? But I understand it. I understand why they did it. It it adds a little arcade. But Marty, how do you feel about that as you shake your head? And I don't want you to get a headache. I do not like it. You don't? I do not like it. Nope. No, I do. I, I was wanting just a standard golf game here's the thing what what badge you want have you gotten your first or second badge I'm, yet? Uh, the second badge yeah all this is is a long tutorial and somebody told me that i went, it can't be more than that it's got to be more than that. it's not every time you go to a new course basically opens up a new shot it opens up a new ne- mechanism that you get to use i get tired of running around 
I just want to take my time and play some stinking golf. But you're constantly racing against the clock. So you got to get there. You don't have a lot of time to, to look at the wind. You don't have a lot of time to look at the lay of the ball, how far you want to drive it. I mean, you just got to, you know, I got to hurry up and get the ball because the clock is ticking. I don't like that. I understand playing in multiplayer, which we haven't done yet. That'll be fun. Racing against other people and knocking each other down will be a blast. But I just want to casually play a stupid game of golf, and the GBA did it better. Sorry, they have more courses. Uh, basically, as you played, you leveled up, and the only difference was maybe the courses were a little bit harder, but the AI got harder. Some of the stupid games you got to do in this to get the badge are just ignorant. Just absolutely ignorant. Why, why am I trying to take a ball and hit a phoenix with it? Why am I trying to hit a bird with a ball? It makes no thematic sense whatsoever. Did you ever play the star golf in Mario Golf where you had to hit it through this various stars or circles or whatever? I, I can't remember. Okay. I'm, I'm, my main one was whichever one was the GBA one. Gotcha. So Whatever the name of that one was. So obviously I haven't gone far enough. Can you not just play a normal round of golf by yourself? No. No. What? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't tried because I've just been doing the adventure. But I swear, if I just want it, you got to. Okay, I'm going to have to find out. But everybody's probably already played it and knows the answer to this. If I can't play a normal round of golf where it just takes me to the ball and lets me hit without having to run to it, it's going to tick me off. I, it really is. It's, I'm just, it's stupid. It's stupid. Yeah, but I don't think you get to carry your me forward into that frame. I think you got to play as one of the Mario characters or something. Oh, that's fine. Well, then, then it's probably going to, well, I don't know. I just want to play golf. I know that's, I mean, people are like, well, that's boring. No, it's not. I just want to play a course and I want it to keep stats and maybe I can beat my score the next time I play that course. I don't know. I'm disappointed in it. I'm disappointed. We still haven't got together and, and played with other people. That will be a blast. I think that will be fun. I am very disappointed in the, the first player of the game because that's what I was looking forward the, to. The adventure mode. You wish they had done a better job with that. Yes. Yeah. And I guess maybe for me, I understand why I need to hurry up and hit the ball. And there's that time pressure because that is where they're going down with this arcade golf thing. Mm -hmm. And I could care less about the battle golf, but, uh, but with you, I can, I, I, with, with what you're saying is I, I agree. There's going to be a time when I'm going to want to pick up and just play against the other AI. And if the AI doesn't get better as I get better, then there's going to be a problem. You know what game that is? It's called golf story. Yeah. That's what I heard. Golf stories. Golf story. It's just you play play a game of golf. So anyway, I'm going to keep playing. I'm not going to sell it. I mean, again, it's one of those things like Mario Kart. If you get some people to play, you'll go online and have a good time. So I, I look forward to that. Um, also, Tony, uh, you and I just got uh, keys to the brand new expansion to Evolution Climate. I played that today. Have you played the climate expansion to Evolution? I sure have. It's been, it's been a while. Just a reminder uh, for those who haven't played Evolution, a reminder of Evolution. So you got these animals that you can put onto the board. You can increase their body size. You can increase their population and you have to feed them. There's carnivores. There's uh, herbivores. You got these different traits that you can apply to them. What climate adds is this really cool of the earth is heating up or cooling down. And depending on what it does, it could affect your animals. So for example, if it gets too cold, it starts eating away your population and taking away your food. But as it gets warmer, it adds food to the pond, uh, which is a good thing. But also you also have these different events that could occur. So when you play a card at the beginning of the round to put mm -hmm. food out, you can also adjust the temperature of the earth. 
and you add up the sum of everybody's temperature cards and whichever way it goes, it'll either you know increase, decrease, or stay the same, then that's resolved to everybody that's in play. I've never played the climate with the real game. I like this. This has a whole new element to the game that I, I'm enjoying. And the the interface for this game is good. You want me to tell you why it's good, Tony? Because when I look at a card in handheld mode, I can read the text without my glasses. There's your test right there. There you go. That is our test. Maybe not other people, but that is how you <laughs> measure it. Now, so in the in the climate of the board game, the one thing I remember is that, and it sounds like this version of it will manage the fiddliness of the climate. And I can't remember it very well, but I remember there was something along the lines of, of tracking the temperature that I had to make mm. sure of my various characters, because also you can add or evolve your species such that it's got a fur coat, a real big, thick fur yes. coat. Or wait, oh, it's getting real hot. Well, the fur animals are going to die because they're getting, right. they overheat. So what you're saying is this game mimics climate change. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, you know, whether it be from the ice age to the warming up and the stuff that they had to go through and everything like that. So anyway, if you've played the game, you know exactly what it is. As far as the Switch version, I think it's a solid implementation. I didn't realize this, Tony, but in a previous update, they added asynchronous play. So maybe you and I could do some asynchronous games. And by the next time uh, we do an episode, maybe we've played a couple online games. We could share our thoughts on it from, from the multiplayer aspect. Just let me know when you send an invite so I can quickly accept it because I, I enjoy asynchronous because I am weaning myself of ascension on my iPad. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I just got to add your friend there. You can create an account uh, for them to sign up on. So anyway, this is available on the eShop right now. The evolution board game has been out for a while. The expansion climate just came out. If you're interested, it's available on the eShop plus other forms like steam and everything else. Also, I know what I'm going to keep doing right now. What are you going to keep doing, man? Well, I've sucked back that Mountain Dew. <laughs> I've eaten a lemon tart that my wife brought me. Yeah. I need to get on out of here because I, I, I need to make sure that I walk off some of these calories. Oh, my gosh. I need to go find the treadmill. Or maybe I can just keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget... You can get 30% off at eWin Racing using the code RDTN. The link is on the site. We also have t-shirts. You can go and order from sirmeeple.com and join our Discord channel, please. Last year, Tony and I were giddy over a two-player... Wait a minute. Did Stellar win? Yes. Two-player game? It won. Okay. Three, three, two, one. Last year, Tony and I gave our two-player game award to Stellar. Was it last year? Yeah. Okay. Three, you, two... You have no memory. Prevagen. Three... <laughs> <laughs>